Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's happening, guys? Happy Tuesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I hope you guys had a great weekend. I hope you enjoyed the early start times for UFC 286. Guys, coming up on today's show, I'm going to talk to you about what's coming up next for the likes of Kamara Usman, Colby Covington, and Hosma Chemayev. Plus, what the hell do you do with Justin Gaethje? I'll get to all of that later, but of course, we must begin by going back to Saturday night when I sat down to give you my thoughts on UFC 286, the main event. And guys, I did this immediately after the fight ended. The head pick going around the world. Now, what do you guys want to do here? You want to break down this fight? Let's break down how this happened. I I talked to my teammate, my friend, and my neighbor, Rick Bell. Former kickboxer. Every day I used to get up and go wrestling. Every day after school, he'd go and kickbox. You know what he told me? One guy's tape but a lifelong martial artist, and he was talking about Leon, and he was talking about Kamar Usman. And Rick Bell didn't try to say that Leon was better. And he didn't try to say the judges weren't his favorite. He didn't try to say he had a hometown advantage. What he said is when that kick landed and Kamar went down, that was the confidence gap that Leon needed. Now, I think we all know that. I think that Rick just rhetorically put it in a way that I want to repeat and give to you because it was, that was all that happened. Leon was not a a different fighter and Kamara wasn't all of a sudden fighting poorly. You did have a Kamara Usman who questioned himself. That's true. But everybody who's ever been knocked out questions themselves. We see it more guilty in boxing, more guilty where we can observe and see something are boxers who, when they get knocked out, they can never come back. And the announcers that didn't fight, Love to come out and tell you it's because their chin's never the same. The chin got soft. The chin doesn't get stronger. Once you go down once, you can go down twice. I had a doctor come out and he told people about a swelling of your jaw and that once it swells, it takes away from the fluid gap and it makes it shorter. And when it touches, you go, shut the F up. Shut up with all that. The only thing that happens when you get knocked out is you begin to question yourself. And setting a guy up isn't just about him fainting, him throw, lifting a left so he can throw the right, him pumping a jab so he can throw a one-two. It's not just about that. Every time you attack an opponent, you expose yourself. You guys have heard of chin down and hands up for good reason. But as soon as I try to hit you, my hand is now not up. My hand is out. I try to hit you again. My hand is not up. My hand is now out. And I'm open. So I think about it, and I pause, and I hesitate, and the greatest defense is a good offense, and when you take a guy's offense away, he's got a problem. This wasn't drastic for Kamar Usman. It was just a reality that he was going to have to face it. It is also a reality just by the numbers, not just by my great analytic work. Just by the numbers, Kamar Usman's output 
was less than this fight than it was in the second fight. And I'm telling you the reason why he questioned. Now, if Kamara would have gone out there and got his hand raised, he'd got that confidence back, that question would go away. It's not unique to Kamara Usman. It's unique to every single fighter that you see. In the last fight, Leon was getting whipped. Well, he was carrying some memories around from the first fight with him. This is just very normal. So when Rick talks about that head kick landing, him going down, it wasn't just Kamara questioning himself and it wasn't just Leon going up. It's one of these things. And so all of a sudden you start to bring a competition that's even closer. Okay, fine. The real thing that we want to know on fight night, the most exciting thing, we don't go to the back and start asking Dana, tell us about round number three. Never, man. We go in the back and we ask Dana what's going to happen next. And in this case, it appears that we know. It is very hard to keep a secret in MMA. If you want to get the word out, you can telephone, telegraph, or tell a fighter. They all blab. It'll all get around. But they kept this a secret. They kept it a secret that Colby Covington was getting licensed, that he was getting clear, that he was going through training camp, that he was making weight, that he was boarding a plane, that he had flown to England, that he was in Lincoln, that he was staying at the hotel, that he was coming to the venue in the morning. They kept it all a secret. It was amazing, quite frankly. I mean, I'm telling you all of the moving parts here. Everybody kept this a secret. I don't agree with that. I think you should shout it from the rooftops. I think that it's awesome to be in a backup position, but I am alone. And quite frankly, if they did go and do it, maybe I wouldn't like it. It'd be an experiment. I think that's what I would like. I, I've got to admit for you, though, I never I don't know, but I wish that they would do this. But guess what they are doing? Guess what they did for Kamara Usman when he was a backup fighter? They gave him a world title shot. Guess what they did for Michael Chandler when he became a backup fighter? They gave him a world title shot. So now you have Colby Covington that did the same thing. He sacrificed. He dedicated. He showed courage. He got on a plane. He went through training camp. He's got guys to pay. He had a scale that he beat. I'm just sharing for you. What are you going to do? You want to do something for him. And a very great lesson when you're the UFC is to set an example. We're going to give him a world title fight. We're not going to tell everybody this is what happens. And we're not going to go guarantee that if you take a backup position, you get a world title fight. But we are going to show people that when we call and we ask you to do this, it's important to us. And to show you that. We're going to try to get you the biggest opportunity that we can. And it looks like that's what's happening here. Dana White said as much. They, well, let, let's go further. Let's quote Dana White. They asked him, is Colby Covington next for a title against Kamar Usman? And Dana said, and I quote 100%. Those were his words. They turned to Rocky himself. Hand to Colby in the crowd. Daniel Cormier was handling the duties and said, that could be your next opponent. Do you want it to be? And Rocky said, no. He said, told Kobe to go back to Miami and win a fight. <laughs> I mean, I laugh because that's good work by Rocky. And I believe when he said no, that means yes. I believe when he said, tell him to go back to Miami, he's saying, go book a venue and I'll see you in Miami. I think. Leon didn't back down from anybody. Leon just fought Kamar Usman for a third time. You're never going to convince me that Leon is scared. But guy fights Kamara once, that's a man. You fight him two and three times? I mean, excuse me. Don't use the word scared with Leon. But he did say no, which I also believe is code talk for that guy annoys me. That guy is under my skin. I don't want to do a favor for him. I don't mind the competition. I don't mind putting it all on the line. 
I don't mind his skills versus mine. I don't want to do him a favor. That's all the reasons why you got to do it. That's all the reasons why you got to go out and do it. So you guys understand you're going to do your part. But we have something real interesting there. You guys know my relationship with Kobe. I'm not attempting to hide that. Let me disclose it, though. So nobody says, oh, you're looking out for his boy. Uh, That's exactly what I'm doing. That's exactly what I'm doing. But you have Kobe Covington, who is the clearest number one contender in the sport, not just the division. We have no weight class where we have a more obvious number one. But we couldn't give him a title fight. Why? Because we already did twice. We just couldn't go back to it a third time. It just wasn't realistic. Now, getting him beat or keeping him in a gatekeeper's position when nobody can deal with, that's a problem too. We had a possible solution, which was move him up to 185 pounds and let him fight for the belt there, but they didn't want to do that. And instead, like all things in this sport and in life, it worked itself out. And the guy that he couldn't get the match with isn't there, so now he can get the match. But I just want to bring that to your attention. And I realize for you smart marks that I just stated the obvious, but I'm stating the obvious for a good reason, which maybe isn't so clear, which is think of the mental toughness. Think of the mental toughness. Could you put yourself in Colby's shoes? Whatever your thing is. If you did your thing better than anybody and you got recognized, but you didn't get paid and you didn't get the opportunity and you knew the money wasn't coming and you knew the opportunity wasn't coming, but you got up every single day, twice a day, and you grounded out to hold that number one position just because you don't know anything else. That's what Colby did. So the fact that this opportunity has opened itself up, it'd not only be disrespectful, it'd not only be wrong, it would flat be a cruel thing to do to not do our best to make that match happen. versus the Zion. God, talked with King Mo. And I believe I'm going to start talking to King Mo all the time because you guys like it when King Mo and I visit. So I want to bring you content that you want. But when I caught up with King Mo, all we did, it was a very lazy approach. We were working out some cameras and, and, and some lighting, if you really want to know. It was a very lazy approach where we were just trying to make a product and get it out to see how that we did. So all we did, the most lazy thing, is we went through the main card and we both gave predictions. That's it. We didn't agree on a damn thing. I mean, we really didn't agree on a doggone thing. I then go and I juxtapose myself against DraftKings. We don't agree on a goddamn thing. These are my partners over at DraftKings. I don't agree on anything that they're saying. Let's start with Marvin Vittori. King Mo tells me Marvin Vittori's not only going to lose, he's going to get finished. I said, man, I do not see it that way. Marvin Vittori is a stud, and he's going to go out and get this done. I know who he's fighting. I know how dangerous his opponent is. You're underestimating the chin of Marvin Vittori. Did you not see him fight Adesanya? Fought Adesanya for 40 minutes. Okay. Marvin Vittori goes out and wins. And then we've got Justin Gaethje. You guys... Let Justin Gaethje be a three-to-one underdog on Thursday of last week. I know it went off closer to two. You let him be a three-to-one underdog 
48 hours before the fight. How? How? Who was it that was betting against him? How did you see him losing? And if you do see him losing, and Fatsayev is quite a stud, and anything can happen in those fights. Three to one? You were willing to part with your money? So many of you said the home advantage was your deciding factor. Fitzayev is Russian. They fought in England. I mean, I, I came to you. I brought this to you. I told you, be careful. You're getting this wrong. Who have you ever said? Fitzayev's got one way to win. He's got one skill set. He's a great striker. I don't question that. But when have you seen Gaethje get outstruck? Who did that to him? Not to mention he's an all-American wrestler. Not to mention it's three rounds. Three rounds is light work. Justin Gaethje might be the most reliable guy in the history of this sport in terms of competing to the best of his ability every time that he competes. Do you know how hard that is to do? You hear that all the time. You've read that in some book that some jerk sold you for 20 bucks on Amazon. You've probably repeated it to your kids, and God bless you for doing it. But if you ever actually tried to do it, have you tried whether you're hot or cold, whether it's dark or light, whether you're big or small? Have you tried in every situation ever been able to bring your absolute best skills, not thinking about the outcome, thinking about the performance? Do you know how hard that is to do? Day in and day out, year in and year out, different opponents, different contests, because this is what Justin Gaethje did. And it's what he does. And he deserves something. This is the best I could do. We got to give him something. We gave him a co-main event spot. And then we told the world, based on what we've seen, we think he's going to lose, and he's a three-to-one dog. Come on, guys. All right, now I'm patting my own back here. You guys realize the Chael curse, I'm not, mu I'm not much of a predictor, right? I'm not, I'm, I, and I admit I'm not very good at it, but okay, I got Vittori. I got that right into Gaethje. And then a lot of people were starting to come in on Leon, and the only thing that was different, I wasn't one. Believe me, I won't try to rewrite history. I had Kamara, but I had a concern. I had a big damn concern with definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Well, okay, but let's reverse that. What if you change something? Shouldn't we expect the outcome to be different? Why would Kamar Usman change anything? He ran right through Leon. That's what I saw in the last one. He dipped into a head kick that was not set up or prepared. It was an accident. You ever see Michael Moore get knocked out by George Foreman? And you hear George Foreman, he'll go on the David Letterman show and talk about how he was setting that up all night. He's a liar. George seems like a perfectly nice guy. I'm that he, that's not what happened. That is fiction. He threw a punch. It was lucky. It landed with a whole bunch of power. And he put down Michael Moore and took his belt away. That's what happened. There's nothing wrong with getting lucky. I love getting lucky in life. I've prayed before and asked God, not for my skills and my, asked him for luck. There's truly nothing wrong with getting lucky, but nobody ever wants to admit it. And it's very relevant. Leon got lucky. Why do I say that? Because Kamara didn't need to change a damn thing. He out-wrestled him. He out-kicked him. He out-struck him. He out-conditioned him. He out-strength him. He out-IQ'd him. He out-octagon controlled him. Everything that the judges looked for, everything within the unified rules went to Kamara Uzma. So why did he change things for this camp? And what did he change? I don't have those answers. The only thing that I know, because I noticed it, is Kamara Usman went radio silent. He went so silent, the UFC had to come out 
and confirmed three short weeks ago that they were even doing the fight. People started to ask, the media started to ask, the ticket buyers on the ground started to wonder. Interviews were being done because we don't hear from Leon, but that's normal. We didn't hear from Kamara. That's not normal. Kamara was focused. He was locked down. He was buckled. I understand all of these things, but why? Why would he be doing it different? Where was he training? How was he training? Who was he training with? Why was he buckled down? Why was he focused? Why did the approach to this appear to be different? When the performance was so clearly in his favor, these are simple questions that I ask. We got partners over at DraftKings, and they pay. They pay dearly. They got to write some damn big checks. And if you listened to King Mo and I and you appreciated that, you knew about Marvin Vittori. You knew about Justin Gaethje. You knew about Leon. You got some damn good parlays. And a few of you owe me a thank you. The average person has around 12 paid subscriptions. Now, I'm talking about things that you purchased online. You put down a credit card for a service. You then forgot about it, but you're billed monthly. And guys, if you think that you're only subscribed to a handful of services, you might want to double check. With Rocket Money, you can quickly identify and cancel all your unwanted subscriptions. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscription, monitors your spending, and helps you to lower your bills all in one place. Over 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about, like that streaming service you signed up for to watch just one show, or that free trial that you never even used. I'm one of those people, guys. Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as a click of a button. Simply find the subscription you don't want and press cancel. Rocket Money will do all the legwork and cancel it for you. No more long hold times with customer service or awkward conversations with a representative trying to talk you into keeping a service. Just one click and you're done. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, that includes me, saving the average person up to $720 a year. Stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions. Manage your expenses. And guys, do it the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash chael. That's rocketmoney.com slash chael. Rocketmoney.com slash chael. Compare 2003 Vandalay Silva to Justin Gaethje of right now. You ever thought about that? And I'm sure some of you have. I'm sure some of you have, and I admit, I stole that from a headline on the underground forum, but it was an incredible piece. And the kids are going back and forth. And I just like to weigh in on that. That's an incredible piece. When you talk about the history of MMA, and we go in eras, right? It is an anomaly, the Vandalay Silva era. I mean, it's one, when you talk about the scariest guys or you talk about the toughest guys or the guy that legitimately was the best in the world, sometimes you leave the Vandalay part out because it's so obvious. It's for sure him. He is for sure the scariest guy, right? I mean, they had, you could stop. Remember the rule set, though? I mean, it's one of those things where, where you can't reasonably ever catch Vandalay. 
Even if you go, well, this other guy, and you say the other guy, the rules are of such that Vandalay is forever, forever put into this special bubble and placed over here, right? I mean, he is for sure the scariest and the most dominant. You never really knew who the best in the world was. That's a problem that we even have today because we don't do a lot of Grand Prix or a lot of straight line brackets. So it just gets a little bit tough in combat. You have the political side of it. You have the bureaucracy just to be given the opportunity. But we did know back then, didn't we? Because we knew where Sakuraba stood. And they not only matched them, they rematched them. So we did know who the best fighter in the world was, and that goes to Vandalay Silva. And I only bring that era up because when you bring up that era and you look at Justin Gaethje, Justin Gaethje is, finish that sentence. Now, before you finish the sentence, you've got to understand whatever comes out of your mouth is probably going to have a debate. Justin Gaethje is the toughest guy ever. Justin Gaethje is the most exciting ever. Is an opinion that a lot of people have, but you're going to have an argument. I don't know if that's true for everything. For example, let me let me make this statement to you. Justin Gaethje is the most reliable guy in the history of the sport if you're looking for determination, if you're looking for excitement, if this sport is about grit, if this sport is about down and right and tough and my will versus your will, many guys at some point will leave that in the back. And I'm talking top guys, tough guys, scary guys, skilled guys. At some point, the lights just get too bright. Or the calendar goes by and the, the, the years just get too much. Justin Gaethje brings whatever it is he has 100% of the time. And he's the most reliable. You can never count on a guy to do that. Tough guys, great training camps. You just you can't count on a guy to do that. It's a, it's a very weird thing in this sport. It's fighting, which is rare. But then fights that you see around town are spontaneous. This is the, the, the most colossal difference from the tough guy that you know that sits on the corner at the bar versus the guys that you see in the octagon is the ability to know what's coming and wait for the moment. It's very hard to do. Whereas they'll spring off that stool and go with anybody. It's just, it's a different thing. Justin Gaethje knows. He knows he's going to be a main event. He knows he's going to be a co-main event. He knows he's taken on a Russian. He knows that he's going to have to do it in England. He knows that he's an underdog. You guys had him an underdog, guys, three to one. On Thursday of last week, he was three to one. I realized the fight went off at two to one. He touched, at DraftKings, he touched three to one. And you did that. You bet against him. To this day, I don't know why, but sometimes you got to be reminded, right? Because eventually, what I'm saying right now, it will be too late. Eventually, that calendar goes by and those years go up and it's over. It's just not, we're just not there yet. So what do you do with him? What do you do with Justin Gaethje? I mean, this was very clear that the UFC had massive hopes for Fitzayev, who, by the way, looked awesome. Fitzayev looked awesome. I do not give him a hard time. He also brought his skills. He also brought his determination. He brought the excitement. He brought the grit. He wasn't as good of a fighter. So what do you do with him? I mean, there was hopes and thoughts that this can be the guy that we can elevate to take on the guy. We can have Russia versus Dagestan, right? We can have civil war. We got to get him through Justin Gaethje. We got to get Fazai of that one big win on the right pay-per-view with the right eyes.
and this was it. And it didn't happen. I, I, just, I say that because I don't give Fitzai a hard time. That, he looked great. It just turned down to who was better. The answer of who's a better fighter is Justin Gaethje. But what did he do with Justin? The same time as there was this very clear thought and hope that Fuzayev could get shined up and be ready to step into that main event spot. There wasn't talk around Gaethje. And the reason for that is he's already been there. Real simple. Right, we have some things in this sport, in this industry, that we can just turn to, where we can look at trajectory, we can look at history as the greatest trajectory to the future. There's things within the sport, and you, having had the opportunity, is one of the things that we can look to showing that you're not going to have the opportunity. With the ultimate theory that nobody's ever uh, put out there, Nobody's ever laid this out for you. The ultimate theory that we as human beings and athletes don't get better with time. Therefore, if we had the opportunity over here and for whatever reason we don't have the belt today, it would make no logical sense that we could possibly have it later in life, so let's not even give the guy the chance. Okay, I'm not actually complaining about that. That makes really good logic to me. But what do you do with them? I mean, the mere fact that Justin Gaethje was a co-main event is a bit of a surprise to me. No, he's not the champion. Champion's on the co- right. You got you, you got to do everything right. I'm just sharing with you. What are you going to do with him next? Are you going to co-main event him again? Really? Okay, if it's a pay-per-view, go ahead. Let's co-main event him. But what are you going to do? You're going to have to put him with somebody really good. And what happens if Justin beats that guy? He knocks that guy off. Is Justin a gatekeeper? That's blasphemy. What? Well, I'm asking you, is he? If we're going to co-main event him in his next fight, which we can do because it's not a championship match and it's going to be on pay-per-view. Okay, fair enough. But we're going to find a co-main event spot for him. Or worse. Or he's third from the top. Well, what do you plan to do with him? Okay, great. Who do you plan to do it against? And if Justin beats whatever that answer is, which is going to be a nice, shiny trinket, we then do what? We move him into another co-main event spot against another shiny trinket at some point. He proves to you, just because most guys don't get better and because most guys were over here, doesn't mean it's the case with me. You know how hard Glover Teixeira had to work, not just to get back in there for a world title fight against Jan Blachowicz. You know how hard Glover had to work to beat the stigma that he had the opportunity already. And now he's too old to even try. I mean, it took him a long time, guys. It took Glover almost seven years. Took him almost seven years of beating a stigma, not opponents. It's never a surprise when he went out there and got his hand raised. But even when he got his hand raised, he's now older than he once was. But it, it's one of these tough spots. So what do you want to do with Justin Gaethje? It's a simple question by me, and I'm not looking to I'm not looking to trick you, but I do want an answer. And if your answer leads to anything that starts to sound like the definition of gatekeeper, I would encourage you to stop and understand that is blasphemy. How do you get Justin Gaethje back to a world title fight? I got to ask this. I got asked this, and I was basically coming from the spot of he's lived that life. That portion 
of Justin's life, whether it was the contender, whether it was the undisputed, whether it was the interim, that, that part of his life is behind us. But it's not because I want it to be. I'm just making a prediction. I'm seeing how he's getting placed on cards. I'm seeing talk and belief and people thinking his best days are behind him, but I don't know how we get there. Look at what he's done. Look at the incredible work that he's done. We want to get Benny a title shot, right? Would you like to see Justin and Benny? But would you like to see Justin and Benny from a standpoint of, whoa, that would be a back and forth battle. I would too, but we're getting ready to put Benny in there. In fact, we want to put Benny in there. In fact, we're arguing and fighting that Benny should be in there. But just that, just me proving that proves that we shouldn't quite dismiss Gaethje. Now let's take this from Gaethje's standpoint. Justin, what would you like to do? Guess what Justin said? He said, I want to fight Dustin. Talk about Poirier. Now, when Gaethje gave this answer, it struck me that he wasn't ready for the question. It struck me, I think he went to the press conference to talk about what he just did. To talk about Fedzaev, to talk about the big win. I don't think he was ready to get... So when he says Dustin Poirier, I'm just sharing with you, Gaethje might give us a different answer today. But I want to take it from this perspective because he even said, I've already fought him, right? He's not the champion. He, he, he stated a few reasons on his own that that fight didn't make the most sense, but was ultimately what he said. Now, my question to you is let's get him back to a title fight. Beating Dustin Poirier, of course, of course, you could argue it automatically makes your number one contender. We understand that. What if Justin Gaethje, what if we put him into the batter's box? We make him the alternate fighter for what Islam's going to do next, which we haven't been told, but we as a community believe Islam's going to sit and he's going to take on the winner of Oliveira Darush. So let's just operate on that assumption, okay? So whatever Islam, wherever that title's being defended, that's what we hold Gaethje for. Gaethje comes into a backup spot. Sooner or later, that backup guy is going in, right? I mean, the mojo and the odds are starting to lean pretty good to the backup guy. Eventually, he's going to get to go in. That would get him there. And now hear me out on something else. It's never been told to us why, at times, we have a backup fighter. We are probably right with our guess of the significance and the importance of making sure a division moves on. That night, that specific night, we need to make sure that that division moves forward. So it, it appears that those are the times when we grab a backup fighter, we put him in, but we've never actually been told that, guys. And as much as we think that that's true, can we agree that the backup fighter comes out for big fights? For nights where we don't have time for BS. We got a lot of eyeballs on us. We're going to deliver to the audience to the best of our ability. Can we agree on that? Because I have a suggestion for you. This is mine. I'm alone. But why don't we use Gaethje? Why don't we consider, while we're considering making him in a backup position for what Islam does next, why don't we consider putting Gaethje in that exact same spot for Chandler McGregor? I think that that would solve a ton of problems. And I get pushed back on any time I suggest 
a backup athlete that could draw him into a match that he's already had. And I don't know why I get pushed back on. We do rematches in this sport all the time. And we like rematches in the sport. We ask for rematches in the sport. So the fact that Gaethje's already been in there with Chandler should not disqualify Gaethje from going into a backup position for Chandler versus McGregor. That's a massive fight. There's going to be a lot of buildup. There's going to be a huge crowd that's coming out. And the crowd for Chandler and McGregor is not expecting a world championship to be resolved. They're not expecting for a division to have some clarity. They're expecting a hell of a good fight. They are expecting some fireworks. They are expecting back and forth. They're expecting two competitors that are going to bring everything they got. That sounds a lot like Justin Gaethje. I really think that Gaethje needs to be considered for some of those spots. I'm not going to hold Gaethje to his challenge of Dustin because I don't think he meant it. I don't think he planned it. I think he's a legit tough guy that only calls out legit tough guys, which he succeeded in by Sam Poirier's name. But I think there's better ways, and I think there's other ways. I think the backup position is coveted. I think that the UFC is making that clear. How do you get somebody to go to work on a day where they might not be needed? In any industry, how do you do that? How do you do it? Look at what Colby Covington just went through. If he was going to be thrown in, he was going to be thrown in on one day's notice, and he was going to be thrown in between one of two trained killers. It's a hard thing to say yes to. There's nothing that comes with it. Colby Covington woke up yesterday morning and got on an airplane with his bag. Nothing happened. There was no press tour. There was no media tour. There's a little thank you that he then gets to spread around the coaches that got him ready. How do you get him to do that? Well, the way you do it is without saying it, without putting it in writing, without come out making it known. You start to elevate the guy that did that so the next guy can see it. You have Usman in a backup position, but down the road you give Usman a title shot so the boys can see it. So then when a guy like Michael Chandler gets a phone call and says, yeah, I'll go to a different country, I'll do the backup spot, which no one may know about and I won't get put in, but then you give Chandler world title opportunity. The guys start looking around, they start to see it. So then you call on a guy like Colby, who even though you're not promising anything, he's kind of looking around and he's saying, hey, this is a pretty good spot. And you incentivize it. And it looks like that's where we're going to go with Colby as well. So I, I just for just for you, once you start seeing this precedence, once you start seeing that the history is pretty good, you start to see where those positions are valuable. And I just think in this case, when you're looking to what do for Gaethje, or Gaethje's looking to what he's going to do for himself. And he's got two beautiful opportunities. And I think being the reserve fighter comes with some massive rewards and he should consider it. Francis Ngannou, right? Guy that's done everything wrong. Guy that's destroyed his own career and is worth nothing because he's no longer the championship. Boy, I can't take him out of my mouth. What is that? What is that? Because it's something deep rooted. There's a, a psychological, but it's ha and it's happening to me. But it's happening to me subconsciously. Why can I not talk? Why can I not stop talking about him? I thought he wasn't interesting. I thought you couldn't draw with Francis. I thought because I heard myself say it that because he's no longer champion, he's no longer relevant. But I keep talking about him. 
I got a message this morning from Jesse on fire, and he says, is Francis going to one championship? And I wrote Jesse back, and I said, what's your source? And he wrote me back. He goes, no, I don't have, I'm asking you a question. You got some inside scoop. Now, I bring that up because I dug into it because I had this message from Jesse, and Francis has come out. You guys see this? Francis said it made it, made it sound as though he's down to one of two, that he's, he's narrowed everything down, and that he's either going with one championship or PFL. But I have to say, I have to say that because there's other interpretations, perhaps. I believe that Francis said he's down to PFL or one championship. Okay, so we're going to operate under that assumption. Well, that tells us a lot, right? That tells us that he's not boxing Fury. That tells us he's not boxing Deontay Wilder. And what happened to those great ideas, I'm just asking. And what is Francis going to do, I believe? Okay, this is Chael reading stuff and doing his own detective work. But I'm like an accountant. Okay, I'm only as good as the information I'm given. But I think whatever Francis does must have a pay-per-view element to it. Let's say Francis wants $10 million. Okay, let's say. We know this is about uh, uh, money. And a guy could come to him and say, I'm not going to give you $10 million. However, I'm not going to cap it. So you could make $10 million. Having that ability... Having that opportunity really does give you some extra charge. It, it really does put a little bit of pep in your step. And I think, and I chose the number 10 million, it, it could be 20 million. That's where I think the pay-per-view is very important. I think that it's very unlikely Francis goes anywhere that doesn't have that element. And I think the other promoters know this too. I think everybody has heard crystal clear from Francis, just in the media that he's done, before we even sit down and start negotiating, you and me, just from the media he's done, I believe every business guy, every business decision within our industry already has this crystal clear. And therefore, PFL, which has announced and even one time done a pay-per-view event. I think that PFL would lead the way, but I bring this to you because I could see where one championship would really want Francis. I don't know what that division's like. I don't know the, the, the huge fight you're going to get, but you got to start somewhere. Can we all agree on that? You got you got to get started. Why not start with the star? Why not start with Francis? Build a division around him if you have to do that. They're coming to America. I'm talking about one championship. They want an American presence and American buildings for American live gates. I'm just suggesting this to you because if one championship comes out and announces, we have Francis. I believe that is the first step to the announcement by one championship of we're going to the pay-per-view business. And it's a very interesting thing. It's a very fascinating thing. Right, You would carry that over to the PFL as well. Before you work on what's the division look like, before you work on where do we put Francis in, who are we building up, who is going to go opposite him, before you get there, it does matter who's going to distribute this thing and how. It's called in the business, called where is it going to live? For example, what I'm doing right now, that it lives on YouTube. That's where you guys are right now. But that's what you would say. Where's this going to live? And I just think that it's very interesting. The PFL comes out and announces, we've got Francis and he's fighting on August 2nd. I'm making things up. That means on August 2nd, they are doing a pay-per-view show, which is interesting because there's a lot of things that come with that. I suggest suggest that for you with one championship too. Francis is starting to hone in and he's doing this by process, it appears, of elimination. As opposed to process of, I've got so many people, it appears that he's he's breaking them down. 
He's down to PFL. He's down to one championship. One the deal with Prime is not announced pay-per-view. PFL has held a pay-per-view, but has announced with the help of Jake Paul that this is the direction they're going in. It's a very interesting time to be Francis Ngannou. And we're starting to get a little bit of clarity. We've got a whole bunch of questions, but we're starting, right? The waters are starting to be less murky. We're close. Gonna need another week at least. We're gonna have some Francis news coming real soon. thing coming out of the weekend, right? If you're a decision maker, if I was to sit you down and ask a question, how many of you fans go, I could do this job. I should be the president of the UFC, right? But you, you find yourself doing that. You think that you've got great ideas. You've got everything figured out. Okay, great. Well, I'd love to hear from you, smarty pants, but let me ask you a really hard question. Okay. It's going to be a trick question. It's going to be one hell of one. Are you ready for what do you do next with Kamara Usman? That is a colossally challenging, and I'll tell you the answer right now. I know the answer because I've seen this movie 20 times. The answer is nothing. You let him recover. <sighs> you let him exhale as a human being. You take his oars out of the water. You wait a little bit. You make a statement, but it's a small one. It can live on Instagram. It's a small one. And then you go dark for a little bit. That's what's going to happen. I'm just not sure it's what should. I mean, I'll, I'll offer you the other side of the coin, which is the exact... This one's not going to happen. I'm just suggesting for you. What if it did? Turn them around instantly. Beat the phones over there on the second off of the UFC. Non-stop, relentless. Get an answer and get it out quick. 12 weeks from now, Kamara versus, and they're fighting it on this date. Right? I mean, you see what I'm saying? I, get him back instantly. Don't let anybody speculate. Don't let anybody think about it. Don't ever let this set in. Because when they go quiet, which they will, when they put out a quick statement, which will go on Instagram and nowhere else, that division's going to move on. Those rankings are going to move on. And then there's going to be a suggestion. It might take as long as a week. It might take 10 days, but it's coming. Should Kamara Usman retire? That is the way that these things go. And that's the way that this is going to go. I'm not going to get my way here. I'm suggesting for you the other side of the coin, which is beat the phones. You got a contract. We got nothing to talk about. I need an I haven't asked you for anything. I waited five months since my last fight. I flew to a different country. I'm asking you for something right now. And you get to decide what it is. I just want the info. The very info that you're going to give me at some point, I want you to do it now. I want you to do it in a more timely fashion than you planned. That's the way this needs to go. It's not going to happen. That's what should happen. And Kamar Usman was beyond a gentleman. And see, when you're a gentleman in these tough spots, it goes a long way. I don't, I don't ever suggest that to you guys in this sport, do I? I suggest and recommend storytelling. I suggest and I recommend emotion. You got to know when to be a gentleman. And this is what Kamar is doing. Let me tell you a couple of things that Kamar did, okay? Kamar came out after the fight and he said, I have always told you guys that Leon and I would see each other again. Now, I just want to explain what that meant. 
He's not talking about the night the head kick was heard around the world. He's talking about way back in yesteryear when both these guys are under cardsmen and they met up and Kamara felt him. When Kamara was on his run of winning the toughest tournament sports known as the Ultimate Fire, when he was on his run of being dismissed because it was Tyron Woodley's time, when he was on his run of getting close to a tile shot, but not quite. We're going to put you in a backup position because, again, T. Wood is still here and we're getting ready to bring up Darren Till. He ran into Leon Edwards and he felt him. And he knew that guy's different. That guy is special. That guy has something. And that's what he was referencing when he said, I always said we'd meet again. He meant from back then, but he didn't call for a rematch. And so they said to him, well, do you think that you won tonight's fight? Now, this is the moment where we're going to get something going. We're going to get this crowd. We're going to get the booze. We're going to get the headlines. We're going to start to work our way back in. But he was a gentleman. And he answered honestly, and he said, I thought I did enough to win. Now, I just want to explain to you what that meant. He is not proclaiming screw job finish. He was answering directly a question that was asked of him, and I'll quote him one more time. I thought I did enough to win. What that means is, if the judges wanted to see it my way, they could have. I did enough that we can have a debate, and if we got a debate, you can mark me or the other. You've only got two choices. So he did not contest this. He just answered it very honestly. You then take a good look at this, and it, this was move for move and skill for skill. All right, there was no, somebody got lucky here. Somebody got caught. The crowd swayed him. The judges screwed him. We, we just didn't see any of that. So a real straightforward contest, and we saw a point be taken away from Leon. Now, when did you know? Do you guys remember when I got called out? Do you remember? Do you remember when they were giving me a hard time? I am very into telling it the way that it happened. These videos are going to be seen years from now. And it's important that when somebody sees them, they can rely on it, at least to me. When Kamara and Leon fought the second time, right? The last time to this one, the head kick heard around the world. I got to reference that because you guys forget that they fought a time before that. Y'all think the head kick around the world was the first time. We got a lot of new fans. I'm not bagging it, I just, I got, but I got to be specific. Leon cheated. Lots. He cheated lots and lots. He cheated so many times that I lost track. He cheated so many times that the announcers who never call out cheats called it out three times. He cheated so many times that the referee that lets a lot of this stuff slide finally stepped in because he couldn't let it slide. And I pointed this out. I pointed out that he was getting frustrated in that fight. That the frustration was showing even within a bending of the rules. I got called out for it. Said that it was, was unfair. And now you see this fight in home territory and the referee called him out for cheating and took a point away. So it just would seem as though as the story goes along, we need to revisit a few things, including challenging my analysis by saying he broke the rules. Now, cheating is a very strong word, isn't it? It's almost a pejorative. I don't disagree with that. And while cheating by definition does not involve intent, it's what we mean when we speak, doesn't it? And 
Leon wasn't looking to be a scumbag. But he was looking to stay on his feet against a guy whose background is wrestling against an opponent who on two separate nights has out-wrestled him and he did something against the rule that was so egregious that a referee in a world title fight, right? If you, if you have a point taken away from you and you're in a three-round fight, you just decided to fight. And I get mathematically not quite what, show me an example where it wasn't. Show me an example in a three-round fight where a point was taken away and the guy who was punished won. Go ahead. Go ahead. You could do it. They're out there. But I proved my point. In a five-round fight, it is almost as equally difficult to do. So we had a point taken away in a guy's hometown, and he still went on to win the decision, and nobody's complaining. Nobody's arguing, and nobody's saying it's controversial. This includes me. I'm not, look I'm not looking to relive something here. I am going to defend myself because I saw this the first time. I followed Chael's own code, which is to say what you saw and say what happened. And I said that Leon broke the rules. And the public was told that that was unfair for me to say. But here they are again. And a point was taken away by a referee after multiple warnings. I know you don't want to call it cheating. I get that. But do you admit now that I was right? Alright guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. To support the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and just leave me a review like the one from Scott which says, Shale is the best. Well, thank you, Scott. I agree with you. And I hope you come back for more on Friday. Guys, until then, I'm Shale Sonnen and you are welcome. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.